The following production is an adaptation of a story written for the Trexan Sci-Fi RPG, found on the forums at trexansci-fi.com. On this board, a group of writers collaborated to write this and many other stories and continue to do so. Listen to the Ready Room microcast, available in the Trexan Sci-Fi podcast feed to hear dramatic readings of the stories as they are updated weekly. Last time on Star Trek Boldly. Are you okay, number one? At that, the last visage of a smile dissolved into her typically stoic air. I don't know. Underneath the mask of impassiveness, she felt embarrassment. Her brow furrowed as she looked down at the mess that she had made on the table. Oh, man, Sedgwick. I feel like I just got a boot to the head. I think I'm going to have to call it a game for now and get back to my quarters. (laughs) What's the matter, Mikey? Not up for another raising? Eric tried to restrain the dog, but she flew from his arms, tearing after the feline. The doors closed, leaving Eric and the counselor stunned. Uh Uh-oh. Unable to contain their excitement, Marin and Naval scurried after the animals with Margon and Eric close behind. When the coast was clear, Dennis appeared beside Cyril. You should have had me take care of him. The brawny hologram turned his grin towards the slight Vulcan and quickly recoiled at the sight of a twisted scowl she fired at him. Well, Mr. Took, today you will be in Jeffrey's Tube 36. It seems that one of the gel packs is malfunctioning. See if you can locate the problem. Nick took the pad and gave Lieutenant Plummer a slight salute with the device. You got it, Lieutenant. He said with a smile. Ryla Drett looked up to see Dr. Lucas leveling her with an icy stare. The man looked like warmed-over triple feces, but she wasn't about to tell him that. She hated confrontation, and did just about everything she could to avoid its unpleasantness, especially with regards to Dr. I'm a Jerk. He made it known to the medical staff that he wasn't very fond of happy people, so Ryla decided to avoid his crotchetiness for fear that it might be contagious. The middle-aged Terran was flushed, and his forehead was beaded with perspiration. He didn't look at all well. (coughs) Please, come in. While continuing to massage his temples, Dr. Peterson shifted his eyes back to his report. What do you make of these findings? The virus is changing so rapidly that my scanner can't keep track of the variations. Dredd examined the microscan and witnessed the rapidly replicating organism. This virus is unlike anything I have ever come across. Please repeat the tests on the gel pack as soon as possible. Let me know the result of your second analysis. I'll be in my quarters for the next few hours. Notify me of the results when they're ready. Aye, sir. Before the USS Arabella graced the void, Captain Nathaniel Jacob Quinn commanded a mighty Akira-class starship known as the Tiberius. She was a beautiful vessel, crewed by an eclectic group of explorers who discovered strength in their diversity and courage amid tribulation. This is a telling of their valorous deeds and valiant sacrifices as they boldly faced their darkest challenge. Thank you. Mouse. Here, Thank you. Come here, here girl. Kitty, kitty, kitty. Come back. It's just a holographic representation of a canine. It's not real. 
what's going on. The corridor of the Akira-class starship shuddered from slight random shifts in the gravity level as the lighting flickered intermittently. Eric and Margon moved rapidly after the holodog and its prey as they turned into a completely darkened section of the ship. Leaning on one of the dimly lit walls for support, the lieutenant called out to the canine that had halted before a completely shadowed section of the hallway. Warning! Depressurization detected. Deck two, section Came the slower than normal voice of the main computer. Only a few meters behind the two officers, the blue flicker of a containment force field was the only hint of possible danger. Lakia return. Eric spoke towards the animal in an elevated voice. Upon hearing the command, the small dog quickly turned to face him and eagerly moved to his side. If the computer was correct, they were losing breathable atmosphere from somewhere in the section they were currently occupying. I wish I could get my cat to come back like that. Is it me? Or do I feel a slight loss of gravity? Change to engineering. Eric said quickly after tapping his comm badge, only to receive a short series of chirps that informed him of an inability to contact the department. Reaching out with his mind, he tried to directly interface with the systems, only to be met with an almost mind-numbing static. Eric quickly pulled his thoughts back to himself and looked at the counselor. It seems that shipboard communications are down in this section. Eric said as he wiped his fingers across his brow. Great said the counselor sarcastically. Lakia stood almost motionlessly at the lieutenant's feet as he pushed himself from the wall. With the gravity reduced, Eric found that the slight push from the wall almost sent him crashing into the other side. Down the hall, the counselor and lieutenant could see the fingers of crew members as they attempted to release themselves from non-functional doors to their quarters. With the main computer not responding to his comm badge, they would have to manually alter the transmission frequency in hopes of getting help. In an almost comical moment, Mr. Mouse floated towards the counselor. He quickly scooped the feline into his arms and embraced him. You okay, little fellow? The cat just clung to him. The gravity came back on, slamming objects and people to the floor. Cries for help came from several quarters, and then the gravity was lost again. Looks like we need to help people, Lieutenant. Perhaps we could get communications working so we can beam us out of this section. Margon tapped his comm badge, but to no avail. Try that metal thing you do again. I'm afraid I'm not much for frequency modifications, but I can see if people need help. Eric nodded to Margon as he focused his thoughts on the two comm badges and worked to alter their transmission frequencies. What should have been a minor effort was quite taxing to the lieutenant, and after several seconds, the increasing levels of pain forced him to pause his work. I'm still getting some sort of interference, Eric said as he clung to the wall and held his now throbbing head. It would take more time trying to mentally adjust the devices than it would to just find the tools they needed to help their trapped colleagues. Eric knew that if he could just get the badges adjusted, he could open a channel directly to the Aurora and begin moving the injured and trapped to better sections of the ship. Without a tricorder, Eric had no clue how fast they were venting atmosphere. But he did have the dog. Lakia, one bark for yes and two for no. Eric said as he glanced down at the holographic canine. Is your connection to the Aurora still active? His pain subsiding a bit, Eric nodded once. He could use that connection to contact the shuttle. 
In his current state of distress, he couldn't even reach the shuttle with a direct mental connection. Do your sensors indicate atmospheric loss? <coughs> Eric smiled as he slumped against the wall. There was still a danger, but it wasn't as critical as he first imagined. They still needed to help people, and that was the priority. Eric moved on shaky feet as he followed the counselor deeper into the darkened section. His pain would have to wait. There were people that needed them. Captain Quinn quickly strode down the corridor headed towards engineering. This new development in the gel packs could be devastating to the ship if it spread. As usual, Nathan Quinn's mind was racing, and he could hear the voices of the entire crew in his mind. Then suddenly, everything went quiet. Nathan stopped in his tracks, and panic started to creep into his heart. But then, the murmur was back. Quinn drew a deep breath, shook his head, and continued down the hallway to engineering. As he entered, Lieutenant Commander Kararth spotted him and approached. Commander, there might be a problem. I'm sure you are aware of the three infected gel packs that Ensign took removed from Jeffrey's Tube 36 earlier this morning. Kararth nodded. It's more serious than your average malfunctioning gel packs. They are infected with some sort of virus and replicating at an extraordinary rate. I have sickbay working on what type of virus and how to fix or cure it. We need to check every gel pack on board and make sure there are no others infected. If we don't catch this soon, it can have catastrophic consequences for the Tiberius. Ever since their first use in the Intrepid-class vessels, he'd been wary of the biomedical gel packs. Anything that couldn't be repaired with a hydrospanner or a good old-fashioned wrench was never to an engineer's liking. He couldn't very well send a warp core to sickbay, could he? He glanced over his shoulder at the clearly nervous Lieutenant Plummer, who stayed well beyond her duty shift following Ensign Took's discovery. Lieutenant Plummer, begin a level one diagnostic of all systems. Report any anomalies. Very good, Commander. Please keep me informed of your progress. As Quinn started to leave, the ship shook violently. What was that? He asked as he turned back to Kararth. Status! Kararth bellowed across engineering. Depressurization detected. Deck 2, Section 21. Containment fields are holding, came a worried response from Lieutenant Plummer. Kararth noted the concern on his captain's face. Quinn's hands were pressed to his temples. I want a rescue and repair team dispatched now. We may have crew stranded behind the field. Aye, sir. This way, follow me. Marin and Naval walked beside their mother as she patiently explained why they should never leave their quarters without her. Her son started to articulate his reasons for chasing the animals when the lights abruptly blinked out in the corridor. The tall, slender woman reassured her toddlers with soft words as Marin began to whimper quietly. An instant later, a blue force field hummed into life before them, startling the children. I am with you. Everything will be all right. Naval, I need you to release my hand so that I can call for help. The boy loosened his grip reluctantly before transitioning his grasp to the fabric of her pant leg. The commander tapped her badge. Savril to bridge. The comm badge responded with a labored chirp, followed by static. She repeated her call and received the same response, then turned the twins in the opposite direction and quickly proceeded down the corridor. 
The gravity relaxed, causing the children to stumble as they walked. But soon, Naval's fear was gone, as he discovered he could jump further if he would just let go of his mother's pant leg. The three Vulcanoids continued through the passageway until they encountered Lieutenant James and Counselor Margon. Isaac was just about to enter his quarters when the light suddenly blinked out of the corner. He reached his door, but it wouldn't open. The ensign immediately stretched out his mind to his sugar gliders. They were awake and a little frightened. He soothed them, then withdrew. Star Striker to the bridge. He tried to reach out with his mind to the ship, but found it blocked by interference. Deciding that the only solution was to meet up with the fellow crewmen, he headed in the direction that Margon and Eric had gone. Five forward, the decibel level seemed to be rising. Catan looked at his glass and salute to the five other gold shirts sharing the booth. He shouted, then tossed back the glass of brandy. Being accustomed to much stronger blood wine was more or less a staple on Klingon ships. Catan felt confident that he could handle one or two more glasses before he reached his limit. He slammed down his empty glass. One of the officers sitting across from him finished off his own drink, then stood up. He turned to nudge the semi-conscious man that slumped in the seat next to him. As the officer led his blurry-eyed friend towards the exit, the raven-haired woman on the other side of the table moved to occupy the newly vacated seat. She took a moment to refill her glass, then smiled at Catan. One of the two officers sitting next to her gave an exaggerated groan. The officers left, leaving Catan and Tara alone with a still mostly full bottle of Sarian brandy. Catan found himself unable to tear his eyes away from the woman's face. Although he was human, he'd always considered Klingon women to be the epitome of beauty. No doubt a result of his having grown up on a Klingon world. Human women had never seemed to have as much spirit as their Klingon counterparts, but there was something about this woman. At first glance, she was quite simply stunning. Her hair, which flowed around her shoulders like a waterfall of shimmering black silk, seemed to call out for him to touch it. As she smiled at him, he was taken aback by her gleaming, pearly white teeth, which provided a striking contrast to the deep, coffee bronze tan of her flawless skin. As she playfully arched an eyebrow at him, Catan felt as though he was drowning in her shimmering dark blue eyes. But it wasn't just her good looks that had Catan in a daze. The woman seemed to have the heart of a warrior. Something about the way she carried herself. Something about the fearless, joyful manner in which she seemed to embrace life reminded him of the fierce pride embodied by many Klingon women reminded him of his lost love, Kilara. Kitan was brought out of his daze by the sudden, insistent snapping of Tara's fingers just inches away from his face. Step out of it, buddy. Maybe you need to take it easy on the drinks. Suddenly, the lights in the lounge flickered, then went out. The jovial bantering of patrons abruptly ceased, leaving a stark silence echoing in the tomb-dark room. 
Seconds later, the lights cut back on, revealing dozens of puzzled, anxious faces looking around in confusion. What the hell? Stas to Security Chief Manriki. Stas to Lieutenant Tane. Consider this a welcome aboard gift. Sorry to cut things short, but I need to report to security. Tara slapped the cap back on the brandy and slid it across the table to Katan. Shedding her previous jovial, carefree demeanor, Tara seemed suddenly cloaked in an air of cool professionalism. As she headed towards the exit, Katan couldn't help but steal a last, appreciative glance at her. Katan stood, tucked the bottle under his left arm, and made his way to the exit as well. Suddenly, the ship gave a brief but violent shock. As shouts of fear and alarm rang out in the lounge, Katan tossed the bottle to a passing waiter and spun to address the crowd. Raising his voice to carry above the din of confused voices, Katan called out, Everyone, please remain calm. As the crowd turned to face him, he donned a mask of calm confidence. The Tiberius is one of the most well-designed ships in the fleet. It would take a hell of a lot more than a little interstellar turbulence to threaten her structural integrity. He added with a smile. As he scanned the room, Catan tried to make eye contact with each of the uniformed personnel scattered throughout the crowd. Listen everyone, I'm certain the captain and the command crew had the situation well in hand. Unfortunately, intership communications seem to be temporarily offline. Enlisted personnel might want to check in with the department heads to see if there are any updates. Everyone else, please, please just enjoy your meals. As the din of the crowd started to return to normal, Katan resumed his march towards the exit. Ryla analyzed the results of her second test. They were the same as the first, except the aggressiveness of the organism had increased exponentially. The trill twisted a lock of hair as she recorded the outcome and tapped her comm badge. The badge made an awkward retort of off-key chirps, followed by silence. She bit her bottom lip, then tried again, only to receive an equivalent response. Dr. Dredd exited her cramped office and strode onto the floor of sickbay. My badge seems to be malfunctioning. Can you use yours? He met her pleasant face with an unenthusiastic gaze and tapped his badge dramatically. It made a similar noise before falling silent. Reticent, Lucas turned his attention back to his work, ignoring the cheerful blonde once more. I'll take that as a no. Dr. Peterson asked me to keep him apprised of my progress on the virus. I'll have to inform him in person. Lucas grunted in reply as Dr. Dredd left sickbay. Ryla was about to announce her presence at Peterson's door when the deck shuddered beneath her feet. A low rumble quickly followed the quake as the lighting flickered about her in the corridor. Petite trill threw a hand against the doorframe to keep her balance and attempted to signal Peterson by pressing the door chime. Just like the comm badges, it refused to operate. She wrapped her knuckles on the door. Dr. Peterson? Sir, it's Ryla Dredd. 
A stirring within his quarters met her ears before the door cracked open. Ryla strained as she helped Dr. Peterson manually force it wider. Looks like our fear of a biopack epidemic has become a reality, Dret said the CMO in a gravely tone. The physical exertion caused Casey's head to pound once more, and he wandered back into his quarters and lowered himself into a chair. He looked like a hermit to Ryla, for he had grown a five o'clock shadow. His hair was a mess, and he was still wearing his wrinkled, sloppy sleepwear. He squeezed his eyes closed as a stab of pain struck his temples. Ryla frowned in reaction. Sir, let me treat your headache. Peterson nodded, and they headed to sickbay together. As they approached the transparent double doors of the medical bay, Ryla could see that Dr. Lucas was standing at her station. When Lucas noticed their approach, he casually left her station and returned to his own. Ryla's eyes followed him as she picked up her medical tricorder and hypospray. The CMO took a seat at his desk and watched as Ryla checked her station. She looked into her microscanner, then abruptly rose wearing an expression of shock. She shot Dr. Lucas a glare and quickly crossed the floor to confront him. Peterson strained to hear their conversation, but Ryla kept her voice smooth and low. What were you doing at my station, Lucas? The molecular surface of the virus is showing protein spikes, so now it's a rhinovirus? You expect me to believe it just morphed into a simple cold? You replaced it, didn't you? Why? Dr. Lucas feigned a look of shock. Then his face transformed into an expression of pain. He attempted to swallow a cough, but it erupted violently as he leaned against the table to brace himself. The trill noticed that the sweat that had beaded on his forehead earlier was now coming down his face in salty streams. Working her jaw in irritation, she flipped open her medical tricorder and passed it over the sickly man. You're running a high fever. Let me help you lay down. She reached for his arm, but he pulled it away with a tug and moved to the other side of sickbay, coughing and choking as he walked to his office. The trill eyed him suspiciously before returning to Dr. Peterson. She scanned the chief medical officer as he sat in his chair. Dr. Lucas is ill, and so are you, sir. You both have the virus that has infected the gel packs. Ryla prepared a hypo and administered a pain reliever to Casey. This should take care of the pain. She favored him with a knowing smile before asking him to get into a bio bed. He started to protest, but she fixed him with an iron expression. Fine, but just until the pain goes away, he said with a smirk. As Peterson laid back, they both heard a clanging in the back of sickbay. I'll check on it. You rest. Peterson's eyes were beginning to get heavy. What he didn't know was that Ryla had administered a long-lasting, pain-relieving sleep aid. Dr. Drett entered Lucas's small office to find him face down on the floor. Ryla immediately called out for a nurse, and they carried him to another biobed. By the time his head hit the pillow, he was dead. Drett slowly closed her tricorder and cast a troubled glance at the nurse and then towards the unconscious Dr. Peterson. She had no idea how long the CMO had before he too succumbed to the virus. We should test ourselves. Two scans later and Ryla found them both to be virus free. 
We need to inform the captain, but the comm system is down. I need you to find him. Tell him that we may have a larger situation on our hands. Yes, Doctor. Cedric Tain made his way towards Sergeant Mike Terrence's quarters. Normally, that would have been an easy thing, but with the lights flashing on and off and the ship shuddering, it proved to be quite difficult. Cedric rang the door chime, but there was no answer. He knew Tarrant was in there, as he'd called off his shift, complaining that he wasn't feeling well. Tane banged on the door. When there was no answer, he used his security code to bypass the lock. The Orion-Human hybrid walked into the room and was met with the sight of Sergeant Mike Tarrant lying awkwardly on the floor. Tane ran over to his fallen friend. Mike! Mike, come on, Mike! Get up! He checked his friend's pulse and pulled his hand away in surprise. The cold that Tane felt from his hand shot directly to his heart. The only person left in the galaxy that Tane considered family was lying dead on the floor before him. Tane almost broke the combat with the viciousness of his strike. Sick bag. This is a medical emergency. Send an emergency med team to this location immediately. Aye, sir. He could barely hear the acknowledgement over the roar that was building in his head. Tane knew what it was, as he had dealt with it since he was a child. Overwhelming, uncontrollable rage. He fought it the best he could while waiting for the medical team. The lieutenant looked down at his dead friend, and something happened that Tane hadn't experienced since he was a small child. He had actually begun to think that it was impossible for him. It had never happened during all the death and carnage he'd experienced in all of his years in the fleet. As he looked down at his friend, tears rolled down his face. Quinn was heading toward the turbo lift when he pressed his combat. Quinn to Savril. Captain Quinn to Commander Savril. It failed to function. He entered the lift. Bridge. going to be a long day. Just then, Nurse Galloway approached him out of breath. Sir, Quinn Dr. stared at the panicked nurse, then began to jog down the corridor towards sickbed. As he ran, his combat turned. To Captain Quinn. Quinn slowed to a fast walk, then pressed the device pinned to his chest. This is Quinn. Go ahead. Sir, we have bypassed the infected gel packs and currently have communications back up. We should have them up and running in no time. Chief Engineer Karrath replied. Thank you, Commander. Please keep me informed of your progress. He looked about main engineering, which resembled in many ways the circulatory system of a large animal. The rerouting of primary systems had resulted in gel pack connections which stretched across the floor, hung above their heads, even wound their way around the warp core. Although effective temporarily in restoring main systems, the chaos of the fix rubbed him the wrong way. Emergency teams had been sent to the affected section to initiate more permanent on-site repairs. The situation remained tenuous, and he hoped that sickbay could come up with the cure for whatever was ailing his ship.
Take his arms. I'll get his legs. On three. One, two, three. <laughs> Report, Doctor. Ryla Drett presented the captain with a grim expression and gestured to the patients. Every one of these individuals has been infected with the virus that contaminated the biogel packs. With the exception of the two, the majority of the victims are telepaths, 20 in all. Two of those individuals are human, and both are dead, possibly due to the protracted exposure to the virus or weakened immune systems. She walked to a biobed to monitor a new patient. Gwen watched her step away and followed her a second later. Ryla brushed the hair from an unconscious man's face as she continued. Because of the larger number of telepathic patients, I believe the pathogenesis began in one of them. It's too soon to know for sure, but I believe the initial route of entry for this virus was through telepathic contact. It's just a guess, but it's possible the virus spread through a shipwide mental probe, which infected the remaining telepaths as well as the biopacks. This virus is replicating and mutating at an alarming rate, and I believe it has now become airborne and is quickly spreading among non-telepaths. Sir, it won't be long before this situation will become a full-blown epidemic. A thought suddenly struck the trill. Quinn was a telepath, too. She lifted her tricorder and examined him. The medical device whirred as she passed it over the captain. She bit her lower lip and lifted her gaze from the device to meet the captain's green eyes. Sir, you're infected as well. Quinn searched Ryla's face. Yes, I know I've been infected. My telepathic abilities have been dropping in and out. But other than that, I feel fine. Dr. Dredd looked frayed. My specialization is obstetrics, not infectious disease. I don't know if I can cure you or, or anyone else, Captain. Quinn smiled down at the petite trill. I only choose the best for my ship. I have faith in you, Lieutenant. He narrowed his eyes in thought, then raised his brows as the answer came to mind. I might be able to get you some assistance. Captain Quinn to Aria James. This is Aria, Captain. The girl replied. We need your assistance, Miss James. Please come immediately and see Dr. Dredd. Quinn out. The captain turned back to the doctor. Aria is a special crew member and should be of some assistance to you. Please keep me informed of your progress. Yes, Captain. And with that, Quinn exited sickbay. Cedric Tain barely made it to the holodeck. The noise in his head was deafening. He could barely think long enough to punch in the security overrides on the controls and utter the command to begin hollow program Tain Alpha 2. The program was one he had come up with, along with Mike Tarrant. Not only was it an incredibly gruesome program, it lowered the safety lockouts to their minimum. One wouldn't die if they made a mistake in this sum, but they might feel like they wanted to afterwards. The grid of the holodeck transitioned into an arena floor. Level and audience preference. Tane was barely able to speak. Level 10. No audience. Level 10. Took a deep breath and advanced towards the figures in the arena. His face had the look of death itself. Ensign Dunn had just finished his first on-ship assignment, 
assisting in the rescue of crew stranded behind containment fields after a ship malfunction. Exciting stuff, he mused. As he walked towards his quarters, his combat chirped to life. Lieutenant Marike to incident. Done here, sir. There has been a report of a disturbance in Holodeck 2. Go check it out. Aye, sir. He sighed. Security <sighs> detail was beginning to more closely resemble Camp Counselor. He turned and walked a short distance towards Holodeck 2. As he came around the corner, he heard what sounded like an epic battle going on behind the door. A few crew members were milling about, listening. Dunn stepped up and keyed a security override code to open the locked door. Hopefully, he wouldn't be walking in on some Klingon exercise program run amok. He stepped through the door and froze. Before him was the largest Orion he had ever seen, covered in green blood and with a rage in his eyes that chilled him to the core. He almost forgot to breathe. Through the haze of his rage, Tane saw the doors of the holodeck open and a young ensign step in. The lieutenant had just ordered the program to restart its cycle. He was bruised, battered, and breathing, but the roar in his head had not subsided. As the computer phased in the next opponents, Tane's mind broke the grip that his anger held upon it, and he recognized the danger. Ensign, get that door closed now. Safety features in this sim have been overridden. The Draman soldier that the holodeck had created saw Tane's distraction and took advantage. He brought his energy whip around and landed a vicious lash across the lieutenant's back. Already tired, Tane sunk to one knee and let out a roar of pain. Acting quickly, Dunn slammed the controls on the holodeck and closed the doors, then ran towards the Draman. Freeze program! Override program in effect. Code required. The ensign leapt over the kneeling lieutenant and landed a flying sidekick to the Draman's face. The menacing soldier dropped in a heap. The holodeck then phased two more creatures into the arena. What's the passcode? You're hurt and I need to stop this program. Tane heard the young man through the haze of pain he was experiencing. He looked up to see the opponents advancing the ensign. To his credit, the officer looked ready to take them on, although he had a worried expression on his face. Freeze program. Passcode Delta Orion Mike. Croaked the older security officer through his bloody lips. Cedric rose unsteadily to his feet and stopped swaying. With a voice that sounded like two pieces of rusted iron grating together, Tane addressed the ensign. What gives you the right to open that door? Tane glared at the ensign, who quickly came to attention. Sir, my name is Ensign Dunn. I was ordered by Lieutenant Manrique to investigate why this holodeck was operational, since there have been multiple ship malfunctions and many of the crewmen are confined to sickbay. I thought it might be prudent to override the security code and then do my job, sir. Cedric looked over the ensign, standing ramrod straight. As the words Dunn spoke sank into his brain, he felt the rage start to fade away. He felt sickened by his weakness. Here, the ship was in danger, and he was in the holodeck. He still felt the sting of his friend's death as a physical pain, but he knew he was past the worst. All that was left now was the task of dealing with the loss. He knew work was the best cure for that. Well, Ensign, I guess you do have the right, now don't you? We should probably head out of here. Cedric took a step and almost fell. Hmm. I think I might need a bit of help done. Our first stop needs to be sickbay.
part three of Star Trek Boldly is coming soon. Captain Quinn, played by Kenny. Commander Savril and the voice of the computer, played by Jen. Marin and Naval, played by Carly Bell Lombaria. Lieutenant Catan, played by Billy Blackman. Dr. Ryla Drett and Tara Stass, played by Angela. Lieutenant Tane, played by Trex and Sci-Fi Forum member Vartok. Lieutenant Commander Karath, played by Devin Cox. Counselor Margon, played by Rick Moyer. Eric James, played by Daryl. Ensign Isaac Starstriker, played by Gerald Wright. Arya James, played by Silas Carter. Dr. Casey Peterson, played by Nathan P. Butler. Lieutenant Plummer, played by Michelle Mock. Nurse Galloway, played by Michelle Mock and Sue Kissenweather. Ensign Dunn, played by Nathan Moyer. Lieutenant Monrique, played by Edward Woodward III. Background voices, Simon Meddings, Rick Peet, John Bailey, Sue Kissenweather, Jeff Job, Katrine, and Andrew Gilbertson. Theme music by Nathan Moyer. Original score by Rick Moyer of Moyer LLC. Directed, mixed, and narrated by Jen. All hands, this is the captain speaking. Starfleet has confirmed reports that Romulus was destroyed two weeks ago by an ultranova in the adjacent Toba system. The colonies and subjugated worlds that survived are in need of humanitarian aid. Arabella has been assigned to a convoy that will cross the neutral zone in order to provide assistance. We are uncertain of the reception we will receive, but it is it likely we will be met with resistance from the Romulan people. They won't want to accept charity from the Federation, but the captain says we should be prepared to accept evacuees and deal with confrontations with rogue members of the military. Security teams will need to be ready at a moment's notice. We'll we will begin, begin drills, drills at 0800 to prepare. Sick bay may be inundated with ill and wounded. I don't want my department to be overwhelmed. Many of you were a part of the staff aboard the Tiberius. You were seasoned veterans. I know you are fully capable of handling this situation. Shields up. Red alert. Captain, our shields cannot take much more. Beyond the neutral zone, the Romulan people suffer in chaos. The Hobus Ultra Nova laid waste to their fractured empire. Stability has crumbled and infrastructure ravaged. Friend and foe amass in shadows, waiting to pick their bones. Yet the Federation takes nothing but their burdens. These are the voyages of Arabella, the flagship of the Seventh Fleet. Its mission, to defend the helpless, to render aid where needed, to befriend a former enemy, to boldly go where no Starfleet vessel has gone before. Season 10 of the Arabella fanfiction and RPG begins June 26th on the Trex and Sci-Fi Forum. Read along as the story progresses every day 
or be entertained as you listen to the Trucks and Sci-Fi microcast, The Ready Room, as we dramatically read a chapter each week.